0: a copy of God's Word this morning and turn to the Gospel of John, John chapter 3. So we study together this morning and look, we have a, a great crowd this morning, especially considering as uh, I got up this morning and as I tried to dust the sleep out of my eye and get ready and get prepared for today, I figured it would be one, two, three, maybe that's about it, counting my family that is, you know, I wasn't even sure all of them were going to make it this morning. Uh course i say there's a good crowd here i can't tell in the gathering this morning usually i can see you there in the gathering okay just so you know i have this i have this technology where i can see you up there and know who you are but um can't tell this morning i figured with our campus in new orleans today because we're we've launched a worship campus down there i don't know if you know that or not but i had a feeling that we might have more there today in that campus site than we would here But uh, I'm proud you're here. I'm proud you're awake. You stayed up and watched the Bulldogs win last night? Some of you, yeah. See, I woke you up right in the beginning. It's kind of a sensational way to do that, to get you to listen to my sermon. But I had to mention the Bulldogs at some point to uh, bring you into this conversation this morning. Well, it's great to be able to come. It's great to be able to worship Christ as we do. And it is a great season to do that. Look, all seasons of life should be a moment... For us to stop and worship him. But this is just a wonderful time of the year. To be able to come together with family and friends and our church uh, family. To be able to worship him and what Christ Jesus has done for us. Indeed, as Brother Dale said earlier, we can greet one another with this idea of Merry Christmas. That is a great way to salute one another, is it not? Merry Christmas. There's something about that salutation that speaks about the excitement and the energy and the joy that we have. We know unfortunately today that even that salutation can be taken in a wrong way. And there are too many people today. There are too many people today that find such a message offensive. This morning when I got up, and as I said, I was preparing myself, I was watching the news. My kids tell me I do that too often. But I was watching the news this morning and listening to folks talk about how they were trying to remove the word Christmas from any kind of salutation that they might have, and also images of Christmas. You've probably followed this as well, right? Of where they have tried to remove nativities or greetings and rather replaced it with this innocuous term, Happy Holidays. You've probably seen that before. Well, as for me and my house, we still say Merry Christmas it's fine to say that but I also know that in that statement and in the message of Christmas you can find some things that would offend our human senses and our rationale I take you back to John chapter 3 for example as Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus as he is talking to him about the very principle of Christmas as he is speaking about salvation itself there Nicodemus he is he is troubled by what Jesus is saying he's trying to process this message and this mission, because there are so many elements of it that seem to offend his tradition, offend his religion, offend his expectations. And you know the message of Christmas as we think about it. It does have some offensive parts as we think about God becoming human, dying for us on the cross. I want to share with you this morning what I still call the tough words for us to hear. Tough words. Some of you again are probably saying tough words. John three sixteen, those are some of the sweetest words I've ever heard. Some of you said, I, I learned that when I was just a child, and I have been able to recite that and speak that. How could John three sixteen, how could this mission be offensive? How can it be tough for us to hear? I hope to be able to explain it to you this morning, especially as we think about those sensibilities of Nicodemus. The sensibilities that much of our world still shares today. I want to share it with you again. John 3, 16. Wonderful, wonderful passage that we have so taken to heart. This is what Jesus said. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Then he continued. He said, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen and that they have been done in God. Here Jesus is speaking to a ruler of Israel. He is a religious man. He has all kinds of expectations and standards that have been set by his experiences of life and by religion itself. Nicodemus comes to Jesus to try to discern what Jesus is about, his message, his mission, his purpose. He recognizes that Jesus is from God, but he is trying to understand exactly what Jesus intends to do and who Jesus really is. Jesus, of course, speaks to him about a new birth, about a, a new beginning that could come in life. And as he continues throughout this conversation, we find verse 16. The seminal statement about God's mission and God's love. And you see in this passage, I think, some offending principles, some, some offending elements to Nicodemus, at least, in that day. Look, if you will, at the offensive message that Jesus speaks about. He says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Focus on that second part in particular. It says that God gave His only begotten Son. That God sent His Son. Now, what is offensive about that? Take it back to Nicodemus. Take it back to his expectations. Take it back to his understanding of who God is. In the religious mind of the day, in the Pharisaic mind... They would see God only as this holy God that was totally different. And look, there's nothing necessarily wrong with that in particular as you think about God. God is totally different from us, right? Aren't, aren't you thankful that God is just totally different from you and from me? I, I mean, I am thankful He's not like us. I, I look in the mirror sometimes and I'm, I'm thankful God is not given to my mistakes and my failures and my issues The God I have, the God I serve is just totally different from who I am. And the God that you serve is just totally different. Some people have called him the holy other. He's just totally different. He is unique. He sits on high. That's the God we serve. And that's the God that Nicodemus is thinking about. So get this. The God who is the holy God, who is totally different, the total other Being, this God has sent His Son. In other words, God has come down. And Jesus has taken upon flesh. The incarnation, that's really what we celebrate this Christmas season. We think about Jesus coming and taking on flesh. Taking on flesh. Becoming human. You know, the first argument within the church context was not over whether or not Jesus was divine or God. The early church accepted that Jesus was God. They they believed that He was God. They they worshipped Him as a deity. They knew that He was the one true God. They knew that. You know what the earliest argument was over in the church? The humanity of Jesus that Jesus could be fully human. Why? Because it is so difficult, and it was so difficult for Nicodemus to get to this point to understand that Jesus could be fully God and be fully human. I mean, that in itself seems to defy all reason and rationale that Jesus could be both. I mean, if you're God, you're totally other, right? If you're God, you're holy. You're set-apart, you're different. How could you, as God, become human? And yet through Jesus, through Christ, we see God stepping into history, stepping into the world events, and taking on flesh and becoming like you and me in that regard. Nicodemus hears Jesus talk about God sending his son. And for him, it must have been a difficult truth to grasp. And for many today, it is still a difficult truth that God, the God of heaven, the God that so loved us, would step into our lives, step upon this earth, and become human. And yet it was necessary to provide us the salvation that we so desperately need. I love the way John describes it. Certainly, the prologue to the gospel, John chapter 1, those first few verses, it speaks about the word becoming flesh. You ought to go home and read it again and just be reminded of how God did become flesh in Jesus Christ. But I also want to share with you the prologue of John's first letter that he wrote. Listen to this. John speaking to a group of individuals that questioned the very humanness of Jesus. John trying to take upon those individuals that had rejected the humanity of Christ. This is what John said. Listen in verse 1. That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested. And we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. I love that passage. Because John says... Listen, folks, you may question the humanity of Christ. You may try to question whether or not Jesus was truly human. But let me tell you, I was there, and we saw Him, and we heard Him, and we touched Him. He was real. He was real. God broke into history. God broke into world events. And He broke in through His Son, Jesus Christ. Again, those are... Offensive words, tough words for the religious traditionalist like Nicodemus, who could not even envision how God could leave his throne and dwell among men. But the offensive message was accompanied by an offensive motivation. Offensive motivation. Why did God send his son? because of his love because of his love now some of you look at me and say now love is not an offensive motivation love is a great thing right love is a good motivation yeah i I love those moments for example when uh... when somebody comes and uh... maybe they ask me to marry them or we go through a premarital counseling time sometimes in that first session i will say something like now why are you getting married And you know the way this looks. You you, you can imagine, right? I mean, you've seen the look before, right? That girl looks at the guy. And she says, I love him. It's awesome. It's awesome. I'm going to be honest, though. When I come together with folks who have been married 50 years, I don't see that look always, you know? <laughs> Sometimes it changes. I'm not saying there's not love there. It's just a little. But, you know, you know I'll, I'll, I sit there and I think to myself, yeah, you just don't know. let will see what happens <laughs> Love's a great motivation. Love's a great motivation in our relationships. But I want you to think about this a moment. What could be offensive about this statement that God loved? I think the offensive moment, the offensive statement that you find in the Scripture is that God so loved the world. And why would you find that offensive? Or why would Nicodemus find those words tough to digest in his life? Well, it is natural to love people you have relationships with. That's natural. You would think that people would love others that have these relationships for example, if I told you that I love Leslie, now I can and yes I might get the look maybe I can get if I tell you I love Leslie, you would expect that, right? Yes. You would. What you've been telling people around here is what I want to know, yeah. You would expect that. If I tell you this morning I love my children, you would expect that. If I tell you that I love the church, you would hope so. You would hope so. If I tell you that even on my good days I love Brother Dale, if I told you that. (laughs) But listen. God loved the world. Now, I've had people try to say, well, world means this, it only means the certain people that he died for, and world means that, and they they tried to kind of play little games with this word. You know, as I've studied it, it, it just simply means world. God loves the world. And that's difficult to process in our hearts and lives. Why? Because we know that so much of the world lies in darkness. So much of the world has chosen its own way to go. I mean, isn't that what Jesus was saying in those next few verses? In those next few verses, he says about this world. Verse 19, for example. That the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. In other words, there was so much of the world that was living in darkness even at that moment. It had rejected the truth. And yet, somehow, because of God's love for the entire world, He was motivated to send His Son. The original language there is that God so loved. It was a distinctive decisive moment where God declared His love for the world. That's a tremendous truth. That is a tremendous truth. Because what God says to Nicodemus is that I love those I love those who are unlovable. I love those Who have even turned against me. I love those individuals who, up until now, have carried on in their darkness. I love them. It's a powerful motivator. It is the message of Christ that He has loved the world. And it is offensive, tough for not only us to hear but for Nicodemus. It's also tough to think about the mission. I mean the offensive mission, the message and the motivation and the mission. We're going to come back to this idea of believe but notice in, in, in verse 16 it says, whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Why did Jesus come? His main purpose was to provide salvation, eternal life. That is the mission that he came with. Even his name, Jesus, it means Yahweh saves or Yahweh is salvation. God is salvation. In his name you find the purpose of his mission. And here he says he comes that whoever believes they might have life. And and get this, they will not perish. But they will have eternal life. And then Jesus fleshes it out again in those following verses. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe in him is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world. And then in verse 20 and verse 21, it speaks about the truth and how we are to embrace it. You see, The mission is that Jesus comes to bring the light into this world, to bring light upon our deeds and who we are. But in that process of our seeing who we really are, our sinfulness, we can turn to Him, the one that has provided life for us. His mission is salvation. Why would that offend Nicodemus? Well, Nicodemus believes that salvation would come through his good deeds. I mean, you can you can understand that in the first century Pharisaic world. Just do well. That, that's good enough. But it wasn't good enough. And it's still not good enough. Jesus came to provide salvation. He came in the to take upon flesh, but as we know, he came also in that flesh to die upon the cross for us, and to be resurrected the third day. Next week, we'll talk a little more about that. But what extravagant, expressive love that God demonstrated for us in that one act alone, the one act of the cross. <clears throat> The love that he had for us. That is what we celebrate this Christmas. Look, Christmas is an awesome time to gather with family. It's a wonderful time to make visits, wonderful time to get together and eat and, and have some time off from work. It's a wonderful time to do that. I see a couple of Zachary folks are up here visiting family. Just saw you. They're here for that. It's wonderful. Next Sunday, after worship service, my family and I are going to get together for a little while. And we're going to drive to North Mississippi. And we're going to see Mama. (laughs) Both are Mamas. It's wonderful. But Christmas is not just about getting together with family. Christmas is not just about having great banquets and feasts. Christmas is about proclaiming that Jesus Christ has come to provide for the world, for those who would believe, those who would trust. He has come to provide salvation for us all. It is the ultimate expression of God's love that He has sent His Son. And for Nicodemus, that salvation, well, it would come through what some might call offensive means. Again, in the New Testament mind, it would be very offensive to suggest the means by which salvation would come. What would be the means? Faith belief. Faith and belief. Did you get what he said? He said that whoever believes, present tense, those who go on believing, those who go on trusting. And yes, believe can be the acceptance of certain, uh, certain truths, as he speaks about here. But it's more than that. It means to set your confidence upon, to set your trust upon. It means that you believe, you trust, you have committed yourself to that son and to his mission and purpose. You believe, you trust Nicodemus, again, believed that you had to keep so many different standards and you had to fulfill so many different tasks and obligations in order to have salvation. Jesus said, well, you got to be born again. Nicodemus didn't quite understand that, so how in the world can I be born again? How can I enter into my mother's womb again? What do you mean, Jesus? And as Jesus continues to speak to him as Jesus continues to reveal the purpose and the plan, Jesus basically says, "Eh, you know the way you're born again? It is through faith and trust. If you believe, if you go on trusting, if you go on resting in me, then you can have salvation. That means a faith. Some people today, they still share that same difficulty. Of understanding, some people today they they still think, "Oh, we got to do certain things. We got to keep a certain code. We got to." No. What Jesus requires of us today is faith and belief and trust. Now, friends, I know that our faith and our belief it will work itself out into our lives into actions. I know that. That's genuine faith But what he wants us to do Is to trust and believe on him And believe on him in such a way that We do find that faith very active in our lives It's amazing how John Especially in his gospel speaks about active faith You know, when John writes about faith in his gospel He never uses the noun to refer to a faith or the faith. He never does that. When you find the word faith or belief in the book of John, it's always a verb form, Always. In other words, it's always about our active faith and trust in him. Always. And that is what he calls us to be about. To trust and to believe. That is the message of Christmas. That we would trust and believe in such away. Now, get this. Here's Nicodemus. He comes with all of his background. He comes with all of his religiosity. He stands right before Jesus. He says, Jesus, um, don't quite understand why you're here, what you're doing. We know you've got to be from God, and there's some part of that, but Jesus, tell me what you're about. And Jesus looks at him, and yes, says, you got to be born again. But then he describes how that birth can come as he highlights the motivation and the message and the mission and the means by which God would work in his life. And he simply makes the statement, for God so loved the world. Oh, God loved you. And he loved not only you, Nicodemus. He loved all of the world. He loved you so much. Don't you love that word so? He loved you so much that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And Nicodemus, guess what? The incarnation, God in flesh, he's standing right before you. I'm here. I'm the son. God sent me. Believe and trust. We're not told the way Nicodemus responds here in John 3, but later on in the gospel, John 19, verse 39, it says, After the death of Jesus, Nicodemus comes to anoint his body. He comes to take part in this burial ritual as though he had heard the son he had seen the son and he had received the son in his life you know this Christmas the best gift you could receive is the gift of eternal life the gift of the son those of us in this place who've already done that who've already expressed our faith and belief, praise be to God and may we live with that joy each and every day. May we thank him for the gift that he has given to us that we never deserved. But today, if you've not received that gift, I pray that you would take the message of Christmas, a message that may violate so many of your expectations, violate your own person right now I encourage you to hear God's message and the message of Christmas and to have faith and trust and belief in this God we serve let's pray together father we pause before you this morning and we praise your name God what a simple message but God what a powerful message You came to demonstrate your love for us. You came to provide salvation and forgiveness for us. You brought the greatest gift that we could ever imagine. God, we praise you today for that. And Lord, we do trust you. We do express our faith in you. God, for those of us who are believers in this place, may we focus upon you at this season of our lives and, Lord, at every moment that you allow us to breathe. May we just give you praise and glory. God, for those in this place this morning, those there in the gathering, God, those who may not know you as Lord and Savior, God, I pray... That they would accept you this morning, trust you, and Lord, express that love that you have.